from the CPRI Knowledge Hub and CPRIHub.org. This is Research Minutes, a deep dive into new and important research in the realm of education. Today, we look at residential mobility, or moving, a relatively common life event faced by millions of American students each year. New York, about 40% of students move at least one time between grades three and eight. So this is a phenomenon that's affecting a lot of students. But despite that, we still don't understand a lot about this issue. We welcome Temple University's Sarah Cordes, who recently led a study of more than 90,000 New York City students to determine the impact of moving on school performance. Cordes joins CPRI research specialist Adrian Flack to discuss her findings. Students who make long-distance moves, and particularly those who also move schools, perform much worse relative to their new school peers than they did in the years prior to making a move. And their potential implications for families, school leaders, researchers, and policymakers. Schools or districts could be making greater efforts to make sure that parents are aware of those policies and also that parents are aware of the potential negative consequences of switching schools in the same year as a residential move. That's right now on Research Minutes. I'm Adrian Flack, Research Specialist with the Consortium for Policy Research and Education. Today, I'm happy to be joined by Sarah Cordes, Assistant Professor with the Temple University College of Education and lead author of a new study, The Effect of Residential Mobility on Student Performance, Evidence from New York City. Sarah, it's a pleasure to have you with us today. It's great to be here. Before we get into your study, I'd just like to touch on residential mobility itself a little bit. How many families tend to move in a given year, and do we know anything about where or why they're moving? So when we look nationally, it turns out about 45 million people move every year. So that's a lot of people. And that's about 15% of the total U.S. population. So the U.S. is, is pretty mobile. So people move around a lot. In terms of where they move, it turns out the vast majority of people are not moving across state lines. So most people are moving somewhere within the same state. So about 60% are people moving within the same county. And another quarter of people are moving to a different county, but still within the same state. Then when we're thinking about why people move, the current population survey does collect some information on this. So they look at mobile households and they survey them and they ask them their reasons for moving. And according to those estimates, the most frequent reason people are moving is for housing-related reasons. So that's about 45% of of people say that's their main reason for moving. So that would be things like they want to move to a better home, they want a cheaper housing, they want to move to a better neighborhood. And then the next most common reason that people state has to do with family reasons. So they're moving because there's some change in marital status, for example, or people moving out to start their own household. Okay. Previous studies have looked at residential mobility and student outcomes, but yours is unique, particularly in its use of annual longitudinal data. Can you tell us a little bit about this approach and why you felt that it was necessary? Yeah, so we really felt like this study was necessary because, as I just mentioned, residential mobility is quite prevalent, um, and it's actually even more prevalent when we focus in on urban public school students. So, for example, in New York, about 40% of students move at least one time between grades three and eight. So this is a phenomenon that's affecting a lot of students. But despite that, we still don't understand a lot about this issue. So there has been a lot of 
previous research, but not with the same richness of data that we're able to bring um, in this particular study. Because we have a lot of data, not only on where students live and how they perform in school, but we also have information on the, the characteristics of their housing, their neighborhoods, and things of that nature. And I think that a really big contribution we're able to make using this annual longitudinal data is that we're better able to separate the effects of residential and school mobility. So if you think about it, a lot of times when students move homes, they also move schools. And many of the previous studies were sort of unable to distinguish whether the relationship they were seeing between mobility and outcomes was due to the residential move itself or whether it had something to do with the students also switching schools. And so because we have information on where students live and where they go to school every year, we were much better positioned to be able to tackle that particular issue. And we speak of outcomes. Your focus here was literally looking at test scores in terms of math and English language arts, correct? Yes, that's correct. So this study was centered in New York City with a focus on renters. Was there a particular reason for that? Part of the reason had to do with the richest of the data that we have available in New York, but also because New York is really similar to a lot of other large urban school districts in many ways. So like many other urban districts, the population of students in New York is highly mobile, which gives us a good opportunity to study this question because there's a lot of students moving. Also, like other urban districts, the population served by the New York City public schools is highly economically disadvantaged and also racially and ethnically diverse. Even though we we're examining this question in one particular district, the results really do have the potential to be transferred to other large urban districts. And then you also asked why we focused on renters. So we did that for a couple of reasons. So first is we think this is a particularly important population to study. So renters are more likely than their peers in owner-occupied housing to be economically disadvantaged. And this group is also more likely to be mobile. So we're particularly concerned about the impacts of residential mobility for this group of students, not only because they move more frequently, but because they may have fewer resources to sort of buffer any negative consequences of the move. So the renter status was really a proxy for socioeconomic status, so to speak. Yeah, partially. A second reason we, we did this is that part of our study design relies on examining the outcomes of students who move because their building was sold. And so the idea behind that decision was that the timing of a building sale really shouldn't be related to anything going on that might affect a student's performance, but that assumption really only works for renter households. Gotcha. Okay. So I wonder if you could walk us through your study design a little bit. What were you hoping to learn and how did you go about finding it? We were hoping to learn sort of four key things for this study. So just first, what's the impact of residential mobility? And we wanted to look at that both in the short term, in the year of the move itself, but also in subsequent years to see if there were lasting impacts. The second thing we wanted to know was whether the effect of residential mobility varies with how far a student is moving. So this is something that a lot of previous research has sort of hinted as something that might matter, um, but we don't have a lot of empirical evidence. Then we wanted to, as I mentioned previously, sort of do a better job at tackling this question of whether the effects of residential mobility are explained by school mobility or whether there appears to be other things going on. And so that was sort of our final question is looking at other potential mechanisms that could explain the effects of residential mobility. And then in terms of how we actually went about 
answering these questions, really the, the main technique we used uh, is a student fixed effects approach. So in that type of analysis, basically each student is serving as his or her own comparison group. So the nice thing about this is it really controls for anything time invariant about a student or family that may explain their mobility. So if you think about it, people who move are very different than people who don't. So movers may just come from families that are just inherently more unstable, in which case we might expect those students to perform worse anyway. So the nice thing about student fixed effects is that it it accounts for that. Okay. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your findings? What did you learn from doing this study? I think probably the most surprising thing we found is that while some residential moves have negative effects, there's actually a set of residential moves that are good for student performance. So anytime we tell people our results from the study, um, they're quite surprised. Uh, I think the common wisdom is that mobility of any kind is bad, but there does appear to be this this set of moves that are, are good for students. And specifically, those would be moves where students are making a short distance residential move, but they're not changing schools. And so students who are making those short distance moves, what we see is that they experience positive impacts in reading and math performance, not only in the year of the move, but those are actually sustained in the years following a move, which was, I don't want to say unexpected, but it's surprising to many people. Is that something that was different in prior studies? So prior studies really hadn't been able to distinguish the short from long distance moves. They'd really just lumped all of them together. And really the vast majority of prior research finds that at least when you look at residential mobility that way, that residential moves are bad. Gotcha. Okay. So your study provides some clarification about that. Yes. And so we do see that long distance moves, on the other hand, are, are bad for performance. So they have a negative and persistent effect in both subjects. And that's actually true regardless of school mobility. But we do see that students who make a long distance move and a school move perform worst of any group of movers. So school mobility does appear to have some role to play, but it doesn't explain all of the effects of residential mobility because we still see these negative consequences of long distance moves, even if students aren't switching schools. And so because school mobility doesn't appear to be explaining all of residential mobility, we examined a bunch of other potential mechanisms. So we looked at things like changes in housing quality, changes in neighborhood quality, Uh, We also looked at changes in um, how a student performed relative to his or her school peers. And then the final thing that we looked at was changes in exposure to a student's third grade neighborhood peers, which we used as a proxy for social capital. And so what we ended up finding is that those positive impacts of short distance moves really appear to be explained by changes in housing quality. So students who make short distance moves, it looks like they're moving to better buildings and they're not really experiencing any other change. So they're getting this benefit of living in a better building, which then appears to translate or may translate into a better performance at school. And then when we look at those long distance moves, the negative impacts appear to be explained by a combination of things. So First, students who make long-distance moves, and particularly those who also move schools, perform much worse relative to their new school peers than they did in the years prior to making a move. So what we think may be going on is these students are experiencing a sort of small fish, big pond phenomenon, where they're attending slightly better schools, but where they may be underprepared for whatever is being taught in the classroom. And so 
Previous research has shown that this sort of small fish, big pond phenomenon has negative consequences for academic self-concept, which may actually help explain why these long-distance moves sort of have persistent impacts beyond the initial year of the move. Another thing that we see is that students who make a long-distance residential move are traveling further to school. So that may also incur a cost on performance. You know, if you have a long commute every morning and every afternoon, it may leave you less time for things like sleep and homework, which may translate into lower performance. And then the last thing we find is that students who are making these long-distance moves lose more social capital. So that may also explain some of what's going on. Thank you. So given that your data was drawn from a period in which the Great Recession occurred, I wondered if you have any thoughts about how that might have influenced your findings. Yeah, so that's a great question, especially because the Great Recession was accompanied by a number of phenomenon that you might think would impact mobility. So for example, there was a lot of job loss, which may lead to people moving homes, um, also foreclosures with the accompanying housing crisis. And so when we looked at our data, this does bear out a little bit. So we do see that there's an uptick in student mobility during the Great Recession. And we did want to sort of understand the extent to which this might be affecting our findings. I think ultimately what happened is that we saw more students moving, but it doesn't appear that the actual impact of residential mobility was any different during the recession. So basically, we probably just had more students experiencing the consequences of mobility due to the time period we were studying. That would make sense. So why don't we talk about the implications of your findings? Um, What would you say are some of the big takeaways for policymakers or practitioners or other stakeholders? So I think the first takeaway is that um, since we find that residential moves accompanied by school moves are particularly harmful, it's really important for districts to the extent possible to have policies that allow students to remain in their same school following or residential move. So this is already federal law for homeless students under McKinney-Vento, but the same protections don't always apply to mobile students who aren't also experiencing homelessness. New York City actually already has this policy in place. So in districts like New York City or others that already have a policy where students can remain in their school, I think the findings suggest that schools or districts could be making greater efforts to make sure that parents are aware of those policies and also that parents are aware of the potential negative consequences of switching schools in the same year as a residential move. And I think to help facilitate that, districts could potentially provide transportation assistance to the extent that that's financially uh, possible, just to facilitate access to a previous school. Obviously, this is not always going to be possible if you're talking about urban districts with much more sprawl or suburban or rural districts. Staying in your previous school may not be an option if you're moving homes. But given some of our other findings, it would suggest that cases where it's not possible for students to remain in their school after they make a residential move, that districts or schools might focus additional resources on students who are switching schools due to a residential move. And some of these resources could be simply things like targeted instruction to help students who move catch up to whatever curriculum is going on in that in their new school. Or it could also be things like information and resources that could help families and students connect with their new neighborhood and school communities and help rebuild social networks and social capital. What about opportunities for future research in this area? What would you like to tackle next, maybe yourself and your team? Or what would you see, what would you like to see maybe another scholar pick up the ball on this topic? This study really focused on renters. So one of my co-authors and I are now sort of 
shifting our focus to explore the intersection between home ownership and residential mobility. So both in terms of the effects of residential mobility for homeowners, but also the effects of home ownership on mobility. And so this is particularly interesting because there's lots of sort of government subsidies to owner occupants. And some of the arguments for these subsidies have to do with the idea that home ownership, you know, increases stability for children, and that is beneficial for their outcomes. But we don't really have a lot of empirical evidence on the extent to which that's true. And I also think it's really important to understand the impacts of residential mobility on other outcomes. So here we looked at test scores in the year of the move, maybe two or three years following the move, but those aren't necessarily the outcomes we care about for society, right? So I think it would be um, beneficial to look at things like high school graduation, high school dropout, employment, earnings, and how these experiences with residential mobility in childhood may translate into sort of longer term consequences, um, because I think that's ultimately what we really care about. And, you know, these test scores, changes in test scores may translate into those longer term outcomes, but that may not necessarily be the case. That's great. Thank you. Well, it is a fascinating study. And for those of you who would like to learn more, I encourage listeners to read The Effect of Residential Mobility on Student Performance, Evidence from New York City, in the American Educational Research Journal. Sarah, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to this week's Research Minutes, presented by the CPRI Knowledge Hub. For more episodes, or to subscribe to this series, visit us at cprehub.org. That's c-p-r-e-hub.org. To share thoughts on today's episode, or to suggest future topics, follow us on Twitter at cprehub.org.